Talking to some of the best names in contemporary Christian music. This is the Hope FM Artist Interview. And welcome to the Artist Interview here on Hope FM. And this week, a slightly different slant on, on what we're doing, because rather than having a star from the music world, we've got a star from the world of comedy. And I'm very pleased to welcome to the show for, well, the very first time on my drive show anyway, Paul Carenza. Hey, Paul, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Uh, I'm not too bad at all. Thank you very much. Um, it's been been enjoying the beautiful weather lately, which is mm. lovely. So now I know many of our, our listeners will already be familiar with the name Paul Carenza. It's a, it's a little bit of a household name, a bit like Domestos or something like that. <laughs> so um, can you, for those though who aren't familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, yeah, so I, I, I try and wear many hats, um, not all at the same time, but I'm a comedian, um, although am I? I think I'm a, is a, if a comedian doesn't have any gigs, are they a comedian still? I guess so. Um, so obviously the live uh, industry is a little bit tricky at the minute, but, uh, but stand-up comedy has always been my thing, uh, both the stand-up circuits and events for churches and Christian festivals and things like that. And I'm a, a writer as well, which includes sitcom writing, not going out, Miranda, things like that on the TV, um, entertainment shows like Top Gear and books, um, children's books, Christian books, uh, non-Christian books, every, everything, anything I can write, I will write. So um, between all of those things, I do those. You're a man of, of many talents, clearly. Um, just to say, for the listeners at home, you might have heard like a strange rustling sound as, as Paul was talking. And actually on the screen here, I can see a beautiful dog has popped up onto his lap and is, and is busy stroking against his microphone, I guess. Well, as soon as I start talking, she thinks I'm talking to her. That's the thing. So it happens a lot in interviews and things. You suddenly, you're, you're on Zoom or whatever it might be. And then suddenly she appears going, yes, he's talking to me finally. Sitting here all day. No. But this is Tilly and it's her birthday today, actually. She's three today. So she clearly wants all, oh, the, all the attention. Birthday shout out to you, Tilly. Birthday shout out. And obviously, it, this being radio, I should have to describe, she's a cockapoo with a, a black eye patch. So she's um, uh, kind of a... I mean, not that she doesn't wear an eye patch, you know, but she's uh, um, white apart from a black mark, which makes her kind of nice and piratey. So uh, yes, yeah, party. Everyone, everyone needs a pirate dog. Uh, we, we, we like we, we deliberately went for the dog that looked unusual because I think in in our house, I mean, to be honest, I've got it, I, I, this is going way off piece here, but I've got a corneal transplant in my left eye, so I'm a bit you know kind of wonky eye wise, <laughs> and so is the dog. So it kind of goes, doesn't it? So you, you've you've done numbers of different things. You've written. You've performed. Am I right that you're not just stand-up digs? You've also been on TV itself. I have a feeling that my family cheered when you came on in an episode of Miranda that we saw. Uh, yeah, I crowbar myself into uh, an episode of Miranda that I was writing at the time. And uh, here's the shocking thing about writing. Don't be a writer. People get. I get about three emails a week from people saying, I want to be a writer. How do I be a writer? Can I watch over your shoulder as you write? <laughs> Which, of course, the answer is always no. But... Um, uh, but also, I mean, that episode of Miranda, I walked on as a customer. I had no lines and I walked out again. And I, that was better paid than it was for co-writing the script for, I think, the entire series. Maybe that was just one episode, actually. But it goes to show, you know, just as soon as you're on screen, you know, that's it. That's where the, that's where the money is. That's where the, uh, where the job is. But writers, for, for years now, it's, uh, we're told that, um, oh, it's an important part of the process. and You've got all the ideas and there's no show without you. But uh, but because, you know, you, you've got to get on screen. That's what it's all about. So I, I haven't done it much, but um, alas. But uh, when I have, uh, if I can work myself in somewhere, then, yeah, that's... that's yeah, yeah. No, no, nice to have your your moment of fame uh, in that respect as well. And obviously a very respected series. So um, kudos to you having uh, been involved in writing it. So, uh, and also Chris Evans. You've got a, 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 long, mm. a long relationship with Chris Evans as well, I understand. 
Well, yeah. So I, the other thing I, I didn't really mention is I do a bit of the odd bit of uh, a bit of what you do, a bit of radio stuff and a bit of broadcasting, podcasting, any sort of casting, narrow casting, whatever it's called nowadays. Fly casting. Fly casting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Casting for compliments, uh, fishing for compliments. Um, yeah. So pause for thought on, uh, on the Radio 2 Breakfast Show. I started doing a few years ago, sort of by accident. It was Comet Relief Week and they wanted uh, some Red Nose Day specials. And they got some comedians of a faith background to come in and do little pause for thoughts. And like anything in life, it wasn't an audition. But if it goes well enough, it's sort of, you know, everything's an audition. You can bump into someone in the shops. And if your conversation goes right and they've got the right opportunity, banah, there you go. You never know. They'll, they'll let you buy something. They'll let you buy something. Exactly. They'll <laughs> let you walk out without paying for it. And um, uh, yeah, so I started doing pause for thoughts. Uh, got to know Chris Evans when he was the host. And he just then started doing the reunion show of TFI Friday on Channel 4. And then after that, got the Top Gear job and said, you know, do you want to come and, and write on those? Went, yeah, of course. Great. Love to. And I don't think he'd ever seen anything I'd written, but we just got on. So he's like, come and do this. And of course, if you didn't see uh, the Chris Evans series of Top Gear, it went really well. <laughs> and, uh, and if you did see it, then you know otherwise. Yeah. But um, we, we, we had fun trying, but it was always going to be a, a, a battle against, um, you know, Clarkson, Hammond and May having just left. And they obviously had a real, you know, they had more than, more than a, a stamp on the show. It was totally theirs. So reinventing it after that was, was somewhat tricky. Um, against a hostile press. So it was a massive learning curve in all sorts of ways. But um, but yeah, I got to work with, with Chris doing that. So that was that was good fun. Yeah, I can I can um, I, I quite like dabbling in Top Gear from time to time. I don't watch it every week. What what was the highlight for you of being part of that process? Well, to be honest, um, it was. I mean, I, I, most of my writing is from home, but that was going into the office every day. Uh, started off like two or three days a week. By the end of it, it was six days a week, and. Once they, you know, had, well, they had Matt LeBlanc as the co-host and he was in a fair amount uh, as well. So as we got into production, he was in the office a lot of days too. And in fact, I was there for the very first meeting between Chris Evans and Matt LeBlanc. They'd sort of been match-maked, match-made as, as co-presenters and they'd not met before. So I was in this little room with the two of them, me and one other writer, so just four of us. And Chris met Matt, Matt met Chris. And Chris being Chris, is he, he doesn't have an off switch. He is Tigger, you know. And so he was suddenly interviewing Matt about friends and just saying, Matt, so good to be have you here, you know, uh, on the show. We think this is not being recorded. This is not a show. This is a meeting about a get-to-know-you meeting for Top Gear. And the thing about Matt LeBlanc, it turns out, if you ask him about friends, he'll tell you, you know, he'll tell you whatever you want to know. So Chris is going, oh, that episode you did when this thing happened. And Matt would go, oh yeah, well, funny story about that. And then 20 minutes later, he's told you all about that episode. And there are a lot of episodes of Friends. So about five hours later, that meeting finished and we not achieved much. Found but out I, a lot about behind the scenes of Friends. Found a lot about, a lot about Friends. So that was great. And, and surreal, totally surreal. Yeah. So, so you're working with people in the secular world. You're a Christian. How, do, how does your faith impact what you're doing and the way that you um present and choose to to write um i think it, it it it's changed over the years i think i think when i started out in comedy certainly i was probably more of a, a sunday christian i suppose you know i would be on the what it meant for me i suppose was i'd be on the road most weekends doing gigs and in fact the first book i wrote called, called so a comedian walks into a church and it was about it was a memoir of the fact i was on the road every weekend I didn't really have a home church at the time because I was every Sunday morning waking up in a different budget 
uh, hotel somewhere in Dundee or Aberystwyth or wherever the gig was the night before. And I'd have to find a church on the road of a different flavor, variety, type, community, all that sort of thing. And, um, uh, and yeah, so I was kind of dancing around these different denominations in a way, metaphorically speaking. And, but that was my, my sort of Christianity, I suppose, was on a Sunday, I would find a church, I would go to a church, and I would do that again the next Sunday. I suppose in more recent years, I think particularly since we had kids, actually, I think I probably started reassessing things a little bit more. And I, and also starting to consider what I'm putting out into the world. So there are certain jokes that I used to do, I think before we had kids, actually. And I, yeah, I was a Christian and I was, I think, a nice person. I had a reputation, I think, of being a nice guy on the comedy circuit. But still, there were jokes that I don't, I wouldn't do nowadays that would just... I don't know, slamming certain celebrities or whatever it might be. They often say comedy, you know, your satire should punch up, not punch down, should, you know, hold the uh, authority to account and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, not victimize and um, not pick on and all that sort of thing. So um, I, it's been a, a process for me of trying to be the person that I think God wants me to be in the industry that I think I hope God wants me to be in. Um, and yeah, I think that's been a that's been an ongoing challenge, really. But um, but then to go back to Top Gear, one of the the guys on that, one of the directors, is a Christian, and we had mutual friends. We got chatting, and yeah, not just nice to know other Christians in any workplace, especially in like a place like the media, which can often seem uh, it's very shouty about things against religion in, in certain corners. So that was great to work with this guy, who's quite evangelical, big open plan office at Top Gear. And on one of the days, it was not going well. And, you know, the press were out to get us and all that sort of thing. And, uh, and the Guardian had an article that they'd headlined, God Hates Top Gear. And they'd listed everything that had gone wrong with our series of Top Gear. They'd been cancelled flights, airlines gone bust, you know, whole shoots had to be scrapped, all this sort of thing. And, and I showed this to this director who just got in trouble, actually, for being the guy with the whole... Um, they've made the front pages about there's a filming near the cenotaph and it was oh, from a long lens and yeah, i don't yeah. get the whole issue of why it wasn't quite i don't think the story that they pitched it as being but anyway um the press were out to get us and i showed this to this director and said what do you think of this god hates top gear and he said no and he threw it down in the office and stood on his chair on his swivel chair which is quite a quite a skill um in this open plan office god doesn't hate top gear god loves top gear he kept shouting god loves top gear because God has shown me through Top Gear humility and I don't know what I'm doing with my life and I'm trying and I'm failing and all this sorts of thing. And, um, and it was great. You know, the whole office were there. Even the Stig turned around and started speaking. And uh, it was just lovely. Good, good to see another Christian talking about God in wow. a media environment. Yeah. And that's always going to be um, an unusual thing, I think. And do you think that PC, right, uh, not computers versus Mac, but do you think PC stuff sometimes has gone too far? Or do you think it's because it stifles comedy sometimes being pc so so a joke such as the high church of england what do they put in their incense five ten years ago someone could have made that joke and people wouldn't take it too offensively obviously it's a play on marijuana i suppose but um nowadays is that the sort of joke that you feel people can use or is that the sort of joke that wouldn't be used these days because it's going to cause offence well i mean we could talk for an hour just about that but uh just about that one joke in fact but no i i think that um pc and woke and words and terms like that are tricky because they sort of seem to take on a life of their own those those sort of words and phrases and i think people then think 
that they know what they sort of mean by it. But often it just comes down to like looking at the joke, looking at the joke teller, looking at the audience and just going, look, A, it's nice to be nice, you know, whether you're a Christian or not, you know, it's just nice to put nice things out into the world and encourage people, reward people. You know, the, in Proverbs, it says about encouraging people and lifting people up. And in Paul's letters, it says the same. And all of those things. And if we can do that via mirth and humor and joy and community um, and laughter brings community and all those sorts of things, then absolutely great, marvelous. And sometimes that means laughing at things. Sometimes it means kind of poking at things a little bit. You know, I always think you poke at the edge of a thing to find the shape of it, you know, whether that's the church or government or society or, or the bounds of taste even. So I've got no problem really with people, in a way, with people doing whatever joke they want. I think any comedian, any person should be able to say whatever joke they want, freedom of speech, but also they should therefore be ready for the consequences of that, which is that the people you are saying it to may not laugh, they may cry, they may never want to see you again. And you've got to live with that fact, you know, and I, I, what I, bugs me I, is sometimes occasionally you see comedians who might make their thing like, yeah, I am. I, I say the unsayable. I say that I do the jokes. No one else dare do. And they do them. And then they don't get a laugh. And then they blame the audience. Like, well, okay, you can say what you want, but you've got to live with the fact that the audience might not find that funny. Um, you know, in a way, I think any no subject, I think, should be off limits to a degree. I think you should be able to talk about anything. And there is a way into any subject, I think, because comedy can can heal and we laugh and we learn and we grow and all these sorts of things. But, you know, sometimes jokes need to be in kind of skilled hands. And it, it's not for everyone to take on every subject and think, oh, yeah, I can just do a joke slamming this community or slamming this idea. Well, actually, no, maybe you need to be part of that community to tell those jokes or um, just be alongside those people and work out where they are. And then, you know, that's what the Jewish community have a great history of humor. And I think that's because they've, they've, they laugh with each other. They're not laughing at each other quite so much in there. And the same as Christians, you know, we, I do, I've done church gigs and you can talk about the church and you can talk about religion, talk about faith um, without laughing at it, maybe. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Having just said you can talk about it without laughing at it, what is your favourite joke that's the joke that's based on sort of the Christian context? Um, I, my favourite joke is, is, my, is, is my Noah, my Noah joke, um, which is, um, we wrote this for the, we did a tour with the Bible Society a couple of years ago called The Greatest Story Ever Toured. And we were telling, telling the Bible via an evening of, of stand-up and preaching. I was doing the stand-up, Andrew Ollerton was doing the preaching because he's a preacher. And uh, we got to Noah's Ark and my query, query with Noah's Ark was what happened with the sharks? Because my theory is that sharks were meant to be wiped out because they're evil. We've seen Jaws, but they found a loophole. The sharks are there. They thought well, we can swim. We can get through this. 40 days, 40 nights, no problem. Swim a bit deeper. Keep a low profile. Keep out the way of Noah. And they're down there going, just keep it down, guys. Look, there's Noah up there. You know, just keep it. And that's how they got their name. You know, Ark. <laughs> So uh, that is that's a true story. That is, that, that is a very good true story. A true ten, tenuous, tenuous true story in joke form. And so, talking about faith, how did you actually become a Christian in the first place? Are you from a Christian family? What's what's been your experience with God? Uh, I was at uh, a, a, a in, in a village in in Surrey, which was very much church at the centre of the community. It was six pubs, one church. And my parents, uh, I would say, weren't necessarily church people, but they were village people. I don't mean that they sung YMCA and um, were a biker and a, a builder, but um, 
we would do church. We would do the village stuff and we would go and I was in the choir. I was in the scouts and the youth club and, and a lot of those things were centered on the church. And so increasingly as I became a teenager, I was asking to go back to this church. And I think my parents were, were probably a little bit surprised by that fact. I think they sort of probably saw it as, as good childcare for a good amount of my youth. But I was, you know, I was interested in it and the, and the, um, the lessons we'd be taught. And it was like a really slow build. I did this summer holiday camp thing for teenagers, um, for the, the cypher uh, holiday adventure things. And it was the same bunch of people. Every year we'd go back and we'd see each other again. And that was nice. Where, where, where was that? Well, that was actually, it was a canal cruise thing up in, normally in the Grand Union Canal near Birmingham and rugby and that sort of thing. So we would get four giant uh, canal boats, cram it full of 40 teenagers and uh, and a few leaders, some, some of whom I'm still in touch with now, actually, uh, 25 years on. And it was really, I think, on the on those holidays that I um, sort of pieced it all together because often in it, you know, in the church context in sort of an hour a week, as it was at the time, hour and a half a week, um, that was sort of enough to scratch the surface. And, you know, you worship, but you also, as a teenager, I was probably only learning small increments about what faith meant and what, what Christianity meant. So it was really on those more um, focused, you know, a one week long thing where every day you are having fun and adventures and working out what community is, but also puzzling out the world and um, talking about prayer uh, or working out the story of the chronology of Jesus ministry, whatever it might be that year, whatever their thing was, but they did it in such a way that, yeah, it was, they were just there to, uh, it was, I remember being very open. We could ask lots of questions and, and it was great. It was something that I came away from and thought, yeah, okay, I think this is real. And I think this is for me. And I did a theology degree after that, not to become a minister or anything. I was just interested in it. And I thought I could see myself still being interested in this in three years from now. Didn't really have a job in mind at that point, apart from I could be an RE teacher, maybe with a theology degree. I don't know. And and I discovered theatre while doing uh, that degree, really. So I came out writing plays and writing comic plays and then did drama school for a year and then stand-up comedy. And 25 years later, here we are. Oh, yeah. You don't even look old enough for it to be 25 years ago since you were at university and things. Well, so, thank you. Um, and, and, you, and you've won numbers of awards as well along the way, haven't you? So it's great that you've had recognition um, for, for the work that you've done. Um, you, we've, we've been talking about faith, obviously, quite quite a lot. Um, is there a song we, we'd like to hear? We've got we maybe several tracks that have been significant to you. Is there a first song that you've got that you'd like to talk about and why it's significant? Well, I could pick one of several, and I'm going to—I've not told you any of these, so I'm going to assume that you have a, a library, uh, you know, uh, that will hold as, as all of these many, many marvelous hymns. And unless, unless it's a song you've written yourself, we we will have it. <laughs> it is. This is quite niche. No, well, I was thinking about—I was thinking about the classic hymns because I, I do love a classic hymn. We uh, we don't seem too often nowadays, but I I remember when I was in that church choir. The one we used to always, uh, it was like the classic, was immortable, immortable? That's not even a word. Uh, immortal, invisible, God only wise. And it was number 372 in the hymn books. I remember to this day, 372. And it was like, you see the thing on the board, 372. And you just know, good, we're going to give this one a bit of welly, you know. And uh, yeah, immortal, invisible, God only wise. That would be it for me.
And that was Immortal Invisible. Uh, it's cho chosen today on Hope Fem by Paul Crenzer, who is still with us uh, for the artist interview. Um, Paul, so you've talked a little bit about uh, your life with regards to becoming a Christian. You've talked a little bit about um, how uh, Cypher was significant, and you've talked about the various different roles uh, that you've had um, in the way you've done as a writer and the way that your face impacted you. So what's your day-to-day -day life look like as a writer? How how does that fit into family? How is the last the last year I've got to say, in fact, can we explore the last year for a start? Because you mentioned if you're a comedian but you've got no gigs, are you still a comedian? And also you guys have been, I think, in a different situation to many others where actually if you're a theatre, well the government's pouring money in to keep theatres from shutting down. Is the government pouring money into Paul Carenza to prevent Paul Carenza and his family shutting down? Well, I mean, thankfully for me, as you know, R Rishi uh, has, has had this uh, this fund for self-employed people, and many have fallen through the, the cracks on that one. If you earn, weirdly, if you earn too much, or indeed too little, or you registered too late, um, uh, self-employed, then all those things mean that you just didn't get a penny. Um, thankfully, I've uh, I did qualify, so uh, there's been that. And also, thankfully, I've compared with many of my comedian colleagues, I've I've always diversified probably a little bit too much. You know, jack of all trades, master of none is, is sort of been my philosophy. So I've always had that thing where I can then go, OK, I'm going to try and switch to the writing side. But the thing with the writing side is like in the last year, I've been trying to write, um, write a novel, for example. I've never written a novel before, written um, eight or nine books, children's books and things like that, history books. But So have you got a novel idea? I have got a novel idea, yes. I've got, I've got several novel ideas and uh, I've sort of flip-flopped between several. Uh, so this one I'm writing at the minute is on the history of, of the BBC, the history of broadcasting, the history of radio, um, because I was became, in fact, I was writing a book for Lion Hudson a few years ago uh, called Hark, the Biography of Christmas, the Story of Christmas. And it was when researching that, I just was noticing the BBC, their first Christmas in 1922, the first radio Christmas in this country. Uh, they had 35,000 listeners, but four employees. And I thought, who were those four? They must have some stories. And it turns out they do have some stories. They all wrote books about it and I've got them on my shelf here. So, and you read the books and you discover they kind of, uh, they didn't get along and there was a bit of an on-air feud between two of them. And I found it fascinating. So I'm trying to write that up. Do it as a podcast as well, all about the history of radio. And that's been my focus, but none of that stuff pays, to be honest, because you write a novel and you, if you're lucky, you might finish it within three or four years and then what, what it's only when you sell that first copy or indeed if you can sell it to a publisher and get an advance i'm still not there on that one at the moment but um yeah otherwise it's there's no deadline there's no one over your shoulder there's no um pay on that one um and and the same with podcasting you know so i've been doing some online facebook facebook live shows every week every monday uh half an hour little stand-up thing and that's been kind of nice to do but again you you sort of put your metaphorical hat around at the end of it and say oh, anyone want to chuck a tip in the uh the tip jar and one person a week might might do that one or two maybe if you're lucky so um and there was a survey done last week actually by uh, save live comedy is this organization that's that's cropped up in the last year to look after the live comedy uh, industry because as you said we the theater world has big you know theatre companies and big organizations looking after them the comedy circuit has always been a little bit kind of guerrilla and out there and independent so we needed a group to sort of look after us a little bit there's a survey last week that said that yeah most comedians have earned less than five percent in the last year doing online shows or whatever it might be than they would in a normal year which is um 
worrying but understandable. I think given if, if the live gigs just stop, then that's going to happen, you know. And I know many comedians who've not done any, not be able to work at all in any art sector. And um, I know one, one is working in a garden centre, another couple are working for Tesco's now. Um, but then as a result of that, also part of this survey, most comedians, they say, have are considering not coming back to, to live stand-up afterwards, uh, which I think is, is a concern. And I, again, I can totally see why, because those who've had to go and get other jobs outside of the arts world um, are now doing those. And some of them will hopefully will, will come back to, to live performance, but many of them won't. Many of them will go, okay, I'm now working, I'm doing this delivery job for Tesco's or Sainsbury's, and I might just, I better just keep doing this because I've got to, got to provide and, and catch up what they're earning. And it's not just the arts world. I'm well aware there are many industries suffering like this. But yeah, the, the, the live performance world and stand-up comedy, it's, um, it's not clear how we're going to quite leap back from this just yet. And I don't think we'll be back to normal by any stretch for at least another year or so after this as well. So it's a bit bleak, but we'll, um, you know, we're joyful people, hopefully. So hopefully we'll, we'll get there. I, I think so. We've got reason to have confidence that whatever might come, uh, God goes before us in it all. Absolutely. Um, it would be great in this moment, Paul, if you would be happy to pray for our listeners, um, for those that maybe are still struggling and are not sure what the future holds. Um, uh, to, God might just uh, encourage them, speak to them uh, and give them hope. Absolutely. Father God, we commit our lives to you and we know that these are uncertain times not just in the arts world or live performance world, in many different industries and for many who aren't working right now. Uh, we just know that you are there with us. Uh, you, through Jesus, have come here and you stand alongside us. You're not a distant God. You've made us, you've made this world, but you have not stood removed. You're with us and we pray that we would evermore feel your presence on a daily basis uh, through our challenges we just pray that when we do have these difficulties and challenges and uncertainties that those, those can be times when we can actually can I, can feel removed from you we can focus too much on the problems and the challenges and we don't lean enough on you I pray that we would be able to do that we would remember you we would remember to pray we remember to hand it over to you and know that you have our back on this we thank you that you are there for us, that you love us. And we pray that we would love you back as much as we possibly can with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our souls. And we pray that your will will be done here on earth. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much indeed, Paul. And if you're listening and you don't currently go to a church, I just want to encourage you to pop along to www.findachurch.co.uk. There are many great churches that would love to welcome you and help you find out more about God. Some churches aren't physically open at the moment. Many are beginning to open up, um, but there's plenty as well that have uh, Zoom uh, or other alternative online uh, services. And of course, there's the Alpha course as well. For those that are looking into Christianity, uh, you can go to alpha.org and find out about a course that will help you explore the claims of Jesus. So it's a great opportunity. I've done it myself several times. Uh, wonderful, wonderful opportunity. So, right. Okay. Paul, have you got another track for us? Yeah, I, um, I, I'm well aware, you know, you've, you've already referred to the fact that I seem very young and clearly trendy as well. I mean, I, you didn't say that, but I'm reading between the lines on that. But I'm going to once again go against the grain on that and pick a nice old, old song. Um, well, actually, this isn't, this isn't too old because it's within our lifetime. But Rutter, I love a bit of John Rutter. 
And I would wonder if you would play for us any John Rutter. I mean, for the beauty of the earth is marvellous and lifts me up and, uh, and I think lifts praise up to God as well. So I would go for the beauty of the earth by John Rutter. Right, Paul, I'd like to just know this. When you're uh, thinking about your family and how you interrelate with them, you said you've got children. How old are your children? I should know this. Uh, they're 10 and 7, but about to turn 8. So literally, I mean, it literally depends on the on the moment, uh, whether she's 7 or 8. But um, but yeah, ten. let's go for 10 and 8. That's near enough. 10 and 8. It, it have some currency for longer with this interview, so people listening back. Absolutely. Yeah, 10 and 8. That 8, that eight value is probably still accurate. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I'd like to know, what, what things has God taught you through being a father yourself? Well, now there's a question and a half. Um, I, uh, obviously God being, being father or being seen as father himself to us as his children is, is always going to be an example that I think we look at and, um, uh, and not just appreciate. It's so, so mild, doesn't it? To say appreciate, but try and, em uh, try and emulate in some way, try and, um, say mimic again that sounds sort of we, basically no word can do justice to it just as father doesn't do justice to it you know parent creator god but they're with us caring for us um you can see why it's the nearest we've we've sort of latched onto over the years but then as a, as a father myself uh i mean it's been a challenge at times it's been uh crazy it's been fun it's been full on especially in the last year homeschool suddenly has become a thing that i never thought i'd have to try and grapple with um and it's not so much the subject we've been doing but it's it's the if you're trying to write for a deadline for a script for a sitcom but at the same time the wi-fi has gone down the kids are trying to upload some homework trying to find homework on the school cloud all this stuff um and you're supporting them and comforting them through the craziest of times um yeah comfort i think is one thing we can be there for and you look at the model that we see in in god for us and what we can then do for others, whether we're parents or not, you know, for other people, we can offer, I think, a very similar, uh, a similar thing, uh, comfort, support, um, not talking down to, but being with them where they are, um, understanding them better, I think, that way. Um, there's a, my, my, my wife's been listening to a parenting podcast. Um, and one of the things on there was, was about the fact there are there are no sort of such thing as naughty children really or badly behaved children it's it's an unmet need you know so finding out what that need is and trying to meet it in some way can often be the solution to understanding the children better getting along better and at times like this yeah this house has felt claustrophobic if i'm honest in the last year i'm sure i'm not the only one in saying that um and yeah I, so i'm constantly learning more and more about how to be a better parent and uh, we try we fail we try better the next day etc but um uh, and what would you say has been the highlight so obviously there's there's numbers of challenges but what's been the highlight of being together with your family over the last year where you've not been out on the road so much yeah i mean it's 
I, I, I would love to. We, you know, love to. I'd love to pick external sort of days out. You know, like last year we uh, obviously we holidayed in this country. Uh, we just had some days out. Really, we went to um, to Longley, and that was a great day out. You know, so good times as a family, good days out as a family was great. But also, I think more relevant is good days in as a family. How do you have a good day in when you are in a lockdown situation that none of us predicted? So we've been, yeah, finding new ways, you know, uncovering board games and jigsaws, spending some time in the garden and having fun that way here, teaching each other new games, card games, making up games, you know, that sort of thing. Um, My son's been making competitions, you know, quizzes that we do and, uh, and things like that. And, and sometimes, especially if you've got, if you're up against work things and it's really difficult, if you haven't got that boundary of, I'm at work for nine to five in that office. If instead you're at home and the office is the kitchen desk or whatever it might be, and it's a bit more fluid than that. It's tricky when they come to you go, look, I've made this giant new competition game thing. It's quite complicated. I need your full attention for the next nine hours. Then you go, I've got this work to do. It's really tricky. It's really tricky to get those balances right. But if you can get it right, then uh, the rewards are incredible. And the fact that you can, uh, have those great bonding moments and times together if you can get your work done and segregate it off and go look close the laptop on that one close the office door metaphorically if you've not got an office and um and yeah have some have some great times together doing those silly games and that sort of thing silly games definitely uh, a good thing to participate in i'm sure um okay uh it'd be great for us to see seeing as you are uh, a stand-up comedian. I'm just sitting down at the moment, but you are a stand-up comedian. You don't have to stand up because your mic won't reach. But um, uh, I thought we could see whether or not we can do some jokes together because uh, I do like jokes. We actually have a slot on the show which is called the Dad Joke Slot. Um, so, uh, so I thought maybe we should see what cracking jokes between the two of us we can okay. find. And I appreciate you using my joke the other day uh, when you were at Spring Harvest. Oh yes, that was of course yes. Well, I remember that was that was the after hours thing, wasn't it? In fact, that was yeah. one of the only times I've done a stand up gig because I was literally standing up um, to an an, uh, an absent audience um, who were there on on uh, online, you know. But uh, but they were there live, and that was great. And um, yeah, and your joke, you know, what can I say? It, it I mean, it essentially, it closed the show. And I know it didn't technically close it, but we might as well have stopped there. You know, we, we <laughs> after that, you, it was the pinnacle. Yes, that was it. It's downhill from there. That's very nice of you to say. So, um, so, what, what's your favourite joke? My favourite joke. I mean, I, I love a bit of who doesn't love a bit of Tim Vine, Milton Jones. I always find it interesting. The two most widely known Christian comedians are uh, Tim and Milton, who both just do jokes, really. Uh, they're the only two comedians you come away not knowing anything about their worldview. They're not giving you opinions. They're just elevating you through joy. And I think that's a marvellous thing. So, and I love a Tim Vine joke because they're so brief, mercifully brief. You know, I've got a sponge door. Don't knock it. Brilliant. I mean, what, that, that took three seconds, you know, of your time. If you don't like it, it doesn't matter. There's another one along in a minute. I think those are, those are great. Um, how do you kill a circus? Go straight for the juggler. Th- those sort of things. That is just... You're in, you're out, you're done. Yes, they are, that, that is good. I like, I like that. Here's a joke that, that Johnny Vane sent in to us. People, he didn't write it though. Uh, people are often shocked when they find out I'm not a qualified electrician. Ah, very good. So that's not too bad, isn't it? Like it? So, um, oh, here's one that I wrote. It's, it's not, it's, it's seasonal, so it's the wrong time of year. But there we go. Um, the best way to break a Christmas dinner addiction is cold turkey. Very good. I like it. That's I not, like it. Not too bad. Not too uh, bad. And also, I. 
I was trying to invent some way to remember when to take down the Christmas decorations. Then I had an epiphany. Yay! There you go. So, um, yeah, anyway. So, so what, what ones have you got that you've written? That I've written? Well, I've wrote, I wrote this down when someone else told it to me. So that nearly counts, doesn't it? Uh, what do you call a vicar on a motorbike? Rev. There you go. Oh, yeah. You have that one. That's good. I like that. Religious, religious sandal wearers often have stinky feet. It's not their fault. They just suffer from holitosis. Oh, some yeah, of them hurt. That, that actually properly hurts, doesn't it? That one. That it one. does if you wear sandals, maybe. Right. Yes. Uh, do, you know, do you know how many um, how many Daves there are in the Bible? Forget David. There are like, quite a few Daves that you've got to, they're hidden, but there are quite a few uh, people called Dave in the Bible because uh, there's Dave Judgment, Dave Reckoning, Dave Atonement. Uh, <laughs> seventh day is Dave Rest. Uh, there's loads of them. They're, Dave the Lord is more. They're more, they're more than I realised, yes. It's more than you think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To close it then, uh, not a Christian uh, sort of uh, themed joke, but one of the jokes I, I like doing myself, I've just rediscovered, I forgot about this, was um, about my ex-girlfriend who used to wear those like trendy ex-army sort of camouflage clothing. And eventually I had to say to her, look, I'm sorry, I can't see you anymore. <laughs> um, but know that a girl like you is very hard to find. And uh, I don't know where she is now, but I didn't know where she was then. That's the thing with camouflage, isn't it? Great. Okay. Um, so obviously with lockdown easing, uh, there's going to be maybe opportunities for you to get back out on the road, to go to events, to turn up at churches, to mm. bring blessing to uh, alpha evenings, you know, where they've got those first welcome evenings sort of thing, whatever it might be. If people want to connect to you, how do they get in touch? Uh, they get in touch. Yeah, they can They can Google. They really, Paul Carenza. You've got to spell Carenza correctly. That's the tricky thing. No one, no one, very few do that. I, my own fault. I made up the name Carenza and uh, it's my stage name. I should have picked an easier one. But uh, so Google Paul Carenza. Find me on Twitter, Facebook, my website. You can contact me through my website, paulcarenza.com. And uh, yeah, the diary is... The, I was. I think I can safely say the diary has never been emptier. Um, it awaits to take your call. And you know, in not. But, but in faith, you actually bought a diary this year because I didn't bother. It's well, the, the, the diary is on my phone, but it's. Uh, I, I like to think oh. the app just looks like it's broken. That's why it's. There's nothing much in it. No, there are. <laughs> I've got. I think I don't want to show off, but I think I've got three gigs this year now. Um, between now and the next eight months. And I normally have three a week. So the fact I've now got three in a year obviously shows how different it's been. But, and this is the thing, when people, you know, a year ago or last summer, there's a lot of talk about, oh, well, you know, as soon as this is all finished, we're going to want to celebrate and we're going to want to have joyful, big community events and comedy will, we want to laugh, you know, it'll all come back and it will come back, I'm sure. But right now, because of the gradual way, and it has to be gradual, of course, this, this roadmap out of it all, um, you know, pubs and restaurants and venues have just got to kind of open first, just exist before we can even consider then i think uh, getting many of the live gigs back again so it's a really slow process so i'm booking in a few gigs uh, for those who want them we've got a couple of fun days as a couple of churches have got in touch about like late summer they're gonna have a big uh, big community fun day of like yes we didn't do anything last year the fates were off i miss fates i love a fate um so all those sorts of things are gonna slowly come back and if anyone wants any comedy then book you in so and for people who are just trying to google you and still can't find you i'm just quickly say carenza is k-e-r-e-n-s-a carenza so you're right in fact well well because there was me saying you've got to spell it correctly but i didn't say how to spell it i was just saying yeah just uh that was, that was part of the yeah it's a challenge spell it spell it the right way <laughs> yeah it is I, I want the connoisseurs the ones who really make the effort to actually try every spelling possible so and the, the story behind the name though so it's a stage name it's not your own how, how did you get that name 
Yeah, so it's I'm I'm Paul Young in reality, which is of course the '80s pop star, um, and and so legally I can't perform on stage. Equity rules, you know, as Paul Young, because people might expect songs about hats and where to put them. So uh, I had to pick a different name, and my mum's dog at the time was called Carenza. It's a Cornish name. I'm Cornish. I thought, great, it'll stand out. It'll be original, different. No other Carenzas in the world, I think. And um, and I went for that. But yeah, I probably should have picked one that doesn't have uh, various different spellings with Zs and things that that aren't aren't there. And I've been I've been introduced before as Paul Costenza, Paul Cadenza. Um, there's there's an American comedian called Paul Provenza, and I've once been. I was once flyered for a show in Edinburgh Festival for his show and people thought it was me and the wrong people came to the wrong show and that was very confusing oh because he's got a big anti-religious rant in his show. So I got that audience <laughs> and he got my audience. So um, that went wrong. Wow. Uh, but as long as people spell it right, they'll be able to find you, connect with you and, and book you. Yeah, exactly. Yes, don't book Paul Provenza. No. But yeah, forget Paul Provenza, book Paul Carenza. Yeah, no, you don't want Paul yeah. Provenza in your, in your church by accident. It wouldn't go well. No, exactly. He lives, he lives in New York. You couldn't that's good news. Anyway, don't worry about Great. It. Well, thank you very much. Oh, what's your website address? Yeah, paulcarenza.com. Paulcarenza, K-E-R-E-N-S-A dot C-O-M. That's how you spell com. C-O-M. C-O-M. Okay, that's very, very helpful. Smashing. Get more interviews now. Visit hopefm.com forward slash the artist interview.